We trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When my reading this week, I was reminded of John Newton. I went through a season in my younger years where I was pretty um, obsessed with William Wilberforce. Wilberforce, you remember, um, spent all of his life in politics uh, lobbying against the transatlantic slave trade. And it was just, I don't know, months after his death that his entire life work of ending the slave trade actually came to pass. He didn't live to see it, but he spent his whole life lobbying for it. Well, John Newton and William Wilberforce had an interesting relationship. Newton was a pastor by the time Wilberforce met him, and John Newton was spurring Wilberforce on. You, you stay at the task. You keep fighting to see the slave trade come to an end. Well, Newton's mother died. She was a Puritan when he was, I think, a few weeks before his seventh birthday. So he was just a young guy. She was raised by his dad, and his da- dad raised him on ships, sailing out and about. In his later years, this is kind of interesting, but if the Navy um, didn't have enough men on board to work the ship, sometimes they would go into a saloon and just kind of grab whoever, whatever young guys were there, and they, would, they were officially in the Navy. And so John Newton was in a saloon, and he was grabbed up by the Navy and put, um, put to service, um, but he rebelled and was demoted and eventually he ends up on ships working working in the slave trade his father tries to rescue him at one point um, and he's caught in a great storm and you know how you, you, you know there's no atheist in the foxhole so in a great storm he's praying that the Lord would save him and that, that God would redeem him he says later that he doesn't really think he was saved in this storm but in the storm, he made this decision that he, would, uh, he wouldn't use profanity anymore and he would participate in church services. And so he kind of starts this religious experience. But all the while, Newton continues to work in the slave trade and he actually becomes a captain of a ship um, bringing hundreds, thousands even, of slaves over, of, of African men and women who had been trapped over he participated in all of the horrors that you hear of. I think he said at one point they would stuff as many as 600 men, you know, horizontally in the bottom of the ships. Everything that you've heard, if someone was sick, rather than risking everyone catching the disease, they would just throw the sick person over. Um, and so all of this time, Newton is kind of around church, um, would say that he was a Christian, and the other Christians were at his throat. You cannot participate in this and continue to call yourself a Christian. And he defended himself for a while and said, no, it's, it's socially acceptable. It's okay. And the Christians were saying, no, no, no. And over time, Newton really became sick over it, like really convicted, really sick over it. He would eventually obviously get out of the slave trade. Um, but he, he struggled. He struggled to shake the guilt of the Hundreds, if not most likely thousands and thousands of lives that he ruined. He participated in ruining in the slave trade. Newton became a fan of Calvin and Luther, the reformers, and justification by faith. And he would say that he was saved as he really began to grasp the concepts of grace. And um, Newton wrote hundreds of hymns, hundreds, hundreds of hymns. I was reading in a a couple articles this week. It's mentioned a couple times. 
um, when Newton wrote, uh, Newton wrote um, Amazing Grace. It's what he's most famous for. And when Newton wrote Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saves a wretch like me, there were many who would say he was just using the term wretch being dramatic or for imagery or for, but people who have really studied his life would say, no, when Newton says amazing grace saves a wretch like me, he meant wretch. He, he, do you understand what I'm saying? He, he knew his own depravity and he knew guilt and shame. And he, he knew, he knew what it, what it meant to be a sinner. And when he wrote amazing grace, he meant amazing grace that would save someone who participated in the kind of evil that I participated in. And the, again, the beauty of Newton's life is that he actually showed repentance and that um, Wilberforce, being a politician, at one point was considering going into ministry. And Newton said to him, we, we don't need you to be a preacher. We need you to end the slave trade. Get out there and end the... And, and that's true repentance. When you've encountered the grace of God and then you say, okay, the evil that I participated in, I now will show even more force and energy and, and strength from the Holy Spirit to end it, to stop it, and to the beauty of his life. And so uh, people who study him will say, no, when he wrote wretch, he meant wretch. He meant wretch. Today, as we move to John 1, to conclude the prologue, what John says is, from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. From his fullness. Implications being, Christ is full of holiness and righteousness and mercy and goodness and beauty. And from his fullness, we drink. Outside of his fullness, we are wretches. We are empty. Nothing to offer. We should sing with Newton, and not just singing poetic imagery, but singing reality. That outside of the grace and mercy of Christ, we are wicked, empty. But because of his great mercy on the cross of Calvary, we are able to drink from the person of Jesus. And that blood washes us. It really is amazing. Now, who put this pencil up here? <laughs> Sue. <laughs> All right, let's read the text. John, we'll start in verse 14, just so you guys have context. We'll study 15 through 18. We studied 14 last week. If you missed it, you can catch it online. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth verse 15 john bore witness about him and cried out this was he of whom i said he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace for the law was given through moses but grace and truth came through jesus christ no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Verse 15. John bore witness about him and cried out. This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. 
John cried out. He spoke with conviction and emotion. He heralded, he shouted. And what did he cry? He who came after me is before me because he was before me. And the culture of the day, you honored the elder, obviously. And if a man had been in ministry for a longer period of time than another man, the man who had served longer should be honored and revered. And so in every way, John the Baptist is Jesus's elder and has been in ministry longer than Jesus. And so you would think that John the Baptist should be revered above Jesus. But John says, no, he doesn't just say, but he cries with all of his emotion and conviction. No, he who comes after me is before me because he was before me. In other words, don't look to me, look to him because he is eternal. He was born after me, but he existed forever. John, John allows his ministry, which has thrived, right? Like John is really making an influence. He's got crowds of people flocking to him. He says, no longer flock to me. Flock to him who was before me. He, if you will, he risks all of his ministry. He puts all of his ministry on the chopping block and says, don't, don't listen to me anymore. Listen to him. Follow him. What conviction. Don't prefer me. Prefer Jesus, John the Baptist says. The prophet who broke the silent period. He says, prefer Christ. Verse 16. Why should we flock to Jesus, John? Why should we prefer Jesus? John the Beloved writes... The Apostle John, the author of the Gospel, writes, For from his fullness we all receive. Last week in John 1.14, we studied the idea of, we have seen his glory. Remember John wrote, we saw his glory. And this week John writes, from his fullness we receive, we partake, we drink from his fullness. Colossians 1.19 show you some themes that Paul plays with just for a moment. Paul wrote in Colossians 1.19, For in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Paul wrote, In Christ the fullness of the Godhead was pleased to dwell. Colossians 2, 1-3, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, Paul writes, and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding, and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All the, the, the fullness of deity dwelt in the person of Jesus, and in Jesus exist wisdom and knowledge, treasures of heaven. And when we come to Him, we come to living water, we drink from the fountain. He is the channel by which every heavenly blessing is received. 
the well of life. Christ is the vine, John 15, by which all people are nourished, spiritually nourished. You have no spiritual nourishment outside of the person of Christ. If you seek spiritual nourishment outside of the person of Christ, you will find bondage. There may be gurus and teachers and religious men who tell you, if you follow me, you will find some elevation. You can find inner peace in yourself. You can find the God in you. I want you to know there is no God in you outside of the person of Christ. It's only in being found in union and in covenant with Christ Jesus that God and the person of the Holy Spirit will dwell in you. But even still, he is a separate person. It's not as if you find in yourself some kind of exalted state. Some claim to lead you to secret insight or secret knowledge or higher revelation. There is no higher revelation than the person of Christ Jesus. Stop chasing new new prophecies and new dreams and new visions. Stop having itching ears. Tell me something new. I'll tell you something old. Christ Jesus is the fountain of life. I'll tell you something that's existed from all of the New Testament. Christ Jesus is the river of God flowing through the church. You will not find nourishment in any other person. No apostle, no prophet, no evangelist, no latest and greatest TV preacher can nourish your soul. Look to Jesus. And a preacher is only as good as he calls you to drink from the person of Christ Jesus. Furthermore, we have a real problem in modern Western Christianity. We've allowed church growth strategies and church marketing to literally drown us bury us in a culture that advertises for personal gain. Churches compete with churches down the street and we say to one another, you should come hear my preacher because he's funnier, he's intellectual, he's smart. You need to hear our worship leaders. You could really drink if you came to our church. You will drink at no church unless the church first exalts Jesus and Jesus alone. We must quit idolizing men. We have cultic personality worship happening in the Western church today. And we're focused on externals and trends. And our churches have become so production focused. And don't hear me throwing stones. I'm not throwing stones. I'm not pointing a finger at any church. All I'm saying is that we could be tempted to do the same. We're not above that temptation. You make sure that you're on your lips is drink from Christ. Drink from the person of Jesus. Turn to him, not turn to my church and dress like us and talk like us because we're trendy and we have all the latest ideas. No, turn to Jesus. He's the only person you can really drink from. We must be sure we're not focused on the externals. In our local community, there is at times a temptation to be totally consumed with the way that we, what we present, what we look like. Stop being concerned with what you present and start being concerned with what you carry within your soul. I've said before that we have young guys, and I believe this, who spend more time thinking about their outfit for Sunday morning than they do what they're going to preach on Sunday morning. 
And again, we're not, we're not exempt from being seduced down this road of saying to the world, come look like us, dress like us. We are better, we are higher. And trying to seduce people with the greatness of our giftings or personalities rather than week in and week out pointing people to the cross. Come to the cross. Bow your knee to Jesus. I'd much rather hear a preacher who stammers and stutters and preaches the gospel of Christ than a man who is eloquent, well-dressed, telling me how to be a better me. And, church, we must learn to really drink. Church, we must learn to really receive from the person of Jesus. Your devotional time cannot just be a running through the motions, but you need to stop and really feast upon the Word of God. You need to make sure that your time with God in the morning is real drinking. Not just to going through the motions, but you need to say to the Holy Spirit day in and day out, I need you, God. Paul commanded us not to be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. We've talked about it a million times, but the Greek there literally means be being filled with the Spirit. Constantly be pursuing a fresh filling of God's Holy Spirit. You've got to learn to drink. Read the word with a thirst in your mouth. And when we share communion together, we share the Lord's table really press in and, and cry out to God for spiritual nourishment, for grace, for His presence. And I know that there are seasons that will feel dry, but I've said to you before, and I believe this, that God allows us to experience dryness so that we learn to thirst again. So in the dryness, don't quit. Let yourself get thirsty. And let your cries get louder. And don't be afraid to have tears in your eyes. And put your face in the carpet and say, Holy Spirit, I've got to have you again. Holy Spirit, don't leave me. Holy Spirit, come with fresh power and anointing. Don't be afraid to fast and to plead. I know times can feel dry. But we must place an emphasis on drinking. John Calvin wrote, commenting on this passage, this is from his commentary. He says, John warns us that as soon as we have departed from Christ, it is ill vain for us to to seek a single drop of happiness because God hath determined that whatever is good shall reside in him alone. Accordingly, we shall find angels and men to be dry, heaven to be empty, the earth to be unproductive, and in short, all things to be of no value if we wish to be partakers of the gifts of God in any other way than through Christ. As soon as we have departed from Christ, it's vain to seek a single drop of happiness because God hath determined that whatever is good should exist in Him. Drink, saints, morning and evening, drink. From his fullness we have received. It's only in him that we receive. He's the only full one. And what do we receive? Grace upon grace. Does it mean here, the the preposition that's translated here, upon, sometimes is translated instead of, there's quite a debate about what the preposition means. But it could mean grace upon grace, the way that our translation translated it, as in each day new grace is added to us. 
wave upon wave of grace, grace just layered upon me? Or does it mean grace instead of grace, as in yesterday's grace isn't enough for today, and so he gives us more grace today? What he offers is fresh, daily bread, daily grace. Each situation is flooded with new grace. What kind of grace does John have in mind here? What does he mean by grace? Does he mean salvific grace? I think he does. I think he is referring to the idea that we are saved by grace through faith. But I don't think that what he's saying here is confined only to salvific grace because there's grace that sustains us. There's grace that carries us. There's grace for every hardship. The word grace, you know, charis, where we get the term charismatic, it means gifts. It means a gift. It means blessing or kindness, graciousness. I think John is saying that in him we drink and receive strength. In him we drink and we receive joy. In him we drink and we receive hope and perseverance. Mercy is, is, is not receiving what you deserve. Mercy is when you deserve the belt, but you don't get it. Grace is receiving what you don't deserve. You're, you're given life, eternal, abundant life, even though you didn't earn it. You're given joy, even though what you've earned would be frustration. He gives you peace for your situation, even though you made a total mess of the thing, because he is within himself gracious. Grace is an attribute of God. God does not act gracious. He is gracious. Now, I'd like to insert a thought here that I think is meaningful. may feel like a rabbit trail, but I think we need to say it. We've slid through 2020, and I think that we're at the place now where everyone's starting to breathe a little bit, and we feel like it's over, and we did it, we're done. It was a season of hardship and trial. We saw frustration on many fronts. And God was gracious to us in that season. Um, obviously, I'm talk freely, so please don't. If you're looking to be offended, you're going to be offended. Um, please don't look to be offended. Try to hear what I'm saying. Um, we were faced with trials right away. Do you just shut the church down and not open the door again? Should we go online and be online and... We had to have hard conversations, and we had to say to each other, you know, we, we think scripturally we're commanded to gather together. We want to use wisdom on how to do that, but we need to figure out how to keep gathering for worship. We think that's a scriptural command. Then we had to have conversations about racial tension issues, and we had to say, like, we believe in racial equality and reconciliation in the cross. We believe every man and woman are intrinsically valuable because they are created in the image of God. And we believe in reconciliation and healing and that there is a level ground at the cross, no matter what color or gender or disability you have. But we believe that the cross brings reconciliation and healing, not, not a modern agenda or a modern theory. 
It's the cross. And so if we have issues with racial tension, we need to preach the cross that Jew and Gentile alike, red, yellow, black, and white, you are all valuable because of the blood of Jesus, because you were created in the image of God. And But in saying that, I, we are saying we don't believe in modern critical race theory. And that's frustrating to our society. We had to have conversations about sexuality again. And culture will do everything she can to shut me up from saying, look, I believe that God has designed us. I don't think that gender is something you just pick and choose because the scripture says God made us male and female. And, and I have to say, because the scripture says so. I, I have to say, because the scripture says so, that marriage is between a man and a woman. And I have to say, because Scripture says so, that, um, that, that we have to honor God's design in those things. And what I'm trying to say is this. God gr- graced us with the strength and the ability to persevere through that season. He was so good to us. We didn't have all the answers. Guys, I'll tell you up front. I did not have the discernment, especially in the first couple of months. I didn't have the discernment to feel what was going on. My fear is that many of us are going back to sleep and leaning back and we're saying, oh, thank God it's over. And I'm not prophesying. I'm just telling you it ain't over. I'm not prophesying that doom is coming, but I am telling you from my gut, I think we just saw the underbelly of a demonic strategy that's after us. And I I think we're going to have hard days ahead. And in other countries, I'm so thankful for the liberties and the freedoms in our constitution, which are being spat upon. But in other countries, pastors are being arrested already. Pastors are being imprisoned already. And, and I'm not prophesying that that's coming to us soon, but I do feel that it could come. Um, and by God's grace, let me just say this to you. I don't have any other life outside of this gospel. I don't have any joy outside of the person of Jesus. I don't have any strength outside of this word. I can't stand and preach to you some other message. I can't quit preaching what it says because it's all I've got. And there may come a day where they put me in cuffs and haul me away, but I I promise you that all I can do is stand and preach it. And so what I'm saying is I have 18 kids for you to take care of. Congratulations. (laughs) That's now your responsibility. Um, oh, if, if you're not careful, you'll lean back and go, it's over, we did it, we made it. And when the storm comes in six months or a year, you'll get frustrated with God and you'll quit and you'll say, oh, the church said it was going to be okay and it's not okay. I'm telling you that I think more hardship is coming. But what we receive from Christ is grace upon grace upon grace and the storm may come and the culture may shout and they may drag me off or an elder off or they may try to lock the doors to the church or they may continue to shout at me that I'm filled with hate because I love the word Um, it's okay God will give us grace there will be strength in that hour there will be wisdom in that day We will know what to say when we're brought before men because he will grace us with the words. 
there will be sustenance because the vine, which is Christ Jesus, never runs dry. There will be water, rich, spirit-filled, Holy Ghost rivers of water to drink from because just because culture screams does not mean that Jesus quits. There is grace for tomorrow. But we'll need discernment and we'll need wisdom. And if we've learned anything from the past year, year and a half, what we should have learned is that we must be people who drink day in and day out from the person of Jesus. From his fullness, not the fullness of the TV preacher or your pastor or not the fullness of the latest book from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace grace instead of grace grace for today grace for now for the law was given through Moses but grace and truth came through Christ Jesus the law wounded but Christ bound us up. The law shows us our wretchedness. It establishes for us a standard of righteousness. The law is good and holy. It exposes our own evil, our own inability to stand in the presence of God, that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But grace and truth came through the person of Jesus Christ, and we found healing and forgiveness. The law was given through Moses. On tablets, stone tablets, it was given. Grace and truth came in the person of Jesus Christ. The law was handed to us. Grace and truth stood before us, was hung on a tree before us, was emptied for us in the person of Jesus. John says, no one has ever seen God. Remember, Moses saw God's backside. God held his hand over the cleft while he passed so that Moses could see his glory. But if anyone would look at the face of God, he'd die and not live. When Isaiah has a vision of the heavens, of the throne room, remember he falls to the ground. Woe is me. It's terrifying. The glory of God is terrifying to sinful flesh. No one has ever seen the Father, but he who is at the Father's side, the Father's bosom, at his closest most intimate place he who dwells with the father the unique son sometimes you know there's quite a bit of debate how much time do i have i'm going to yak here for a second there's quite a bit of debate about um the term only begotten in john three sixteen. you know the kjv translated the only begotten son um and sometimes translations translate here the only begotten son the 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 word is um monogenes which it, it doesn't mean begotten in the sense of created. Uh, it, it, it means the only unique one. It doesn't have anything to do with origin. It has to do with peculiar, particular, the only one. And so that sometimes you'll get only begotten here. And that's why in the Council of Nicaea, they would say, um, the Council of Nicaea is AD 300. They would say that Christ is begotten, not made. Begotten, not made, was the phrase used in church history, meaning only begotten means he's the unique, only one, specific, only, not made. It wasn't talking about origin or creation. 
And so here John uses that Greek word, the unique son of God who, who dwells at the father's side, came and lived among us. And he literally, the, what the Greek says, he exegeted God to us. He explained him perfectly. Again, he expository papered God upwards and downwards. Everything you need to know about the father, you can know in the person of Jesus Christ. What is John's implication? Don't look anywhere else. The unique Son of God became flesh so that we could see and know the glory of the Father. So John begins his gospel introduction. Again, it's poetic. The, the, the language, the Greek, is, it feels like prose. It's beautiful. He's quoting Genesis 1. He's really stretching our minds to look at the glory of God and then slamming our minds to the ground to say the glorious eternal word became flesh so that we may drink from his fullness and behold his glory and in him have life what is the apostle john saying he is your only hope love adore jesus worship team if you'd come for me Y'all quit snacking. Whoever's buying them snacks for back there, if y'all could quit doing that. Newton says, John Newton writes, from the amazing grace of God, even wretches, wretches like me, experience mercy and life the Apostle John wrote, we receive from his fullness, from his overflowing abundance, our empty chest, our hollowness is only filled as we run to the fountain, to the channel of God's heavenly blessings in the person of Jesus. Application, learn to drink, learn to drink. If you've been a day or two without really being in God's presence, man, make time today to sit at his feet. Make it a habit, a daily habit, to sit your butt down somewhere and just love him. Just say, God, I love you. I need you. We worship in spirit and truth. So many times people say, I can't see him. How could I talk with him? God is spirit. Meet him in your spirit. Let your spirit bless him. Your spirit communes with him. Learn to drink. Learn to live thankful, acknowledging that even when we prospered, we prospered by the grace that he's given for each day. Learn to feast on the daily bread and to let all of your life be gratitude so we don't say to our culture, we made it through 2020 because we're strong. We made it because God was gracious to us and our hope for tomorrow is not our own strength. Our hope for tomorrow is the graciousness of God imparted to us through the person of Jesus Christ. And we need to be thankful that God came. He didn't command us, climb the mountain and find me. He put on flesh and dwelt among us. He didn't say atone for your sins with good works. Be better. Do more. If you work really, really hard, maybe you can atone for your sins. 
He said, no, I'll pour out my own holy blood to wash you. What a gracious God we serve. What a beautiful Messiah. What a wonderful Jesus. Altar team, if you guys would get in place. And congregation, if you go ahead and stand to your feet, we're going to worship for a moment. And There were a few prophetic words that came forward, words of knowledge as we prayed this morning. There was a word that someone's having digestive issues. Someone's struggling with eye issues, cataracts and floaters, those kind of things. There was a word that someone here has a broken family relationship, that there's really tension and division in your family right now and that you're really struggling, your heart's broken. For all of those things, we think God's here to heal you. We believe God's here to meet you. There was a word this morning that, that God is here to shake off the heavy things of your life and he wants you to wear the easy and light yoke of Jesus. But if you just feel heavy and burdened, maybe even a demonic oppression, that God wants to set you free so you can live in the liberty of, of, of lightness of Christ. This morning, we just say to you simply, if you've never bowed your knee to Jesus, we want you to know that salvation is in grace by grace through faith, that every one of us in this room have totally screwed up, totally and utterly screwed up. Every one of us in this room, we're, we will freely admit to you that we're sinners, we're wretches, I'm a wretch, that we do not stand before God justified by how good we've been. We only stand before God justified by how good Jesus lived and the fact that he died. His, the punishment, the blood he, he poured out was for me. The punishment I deserved, he bore. So he lived the perfect life that I couldn't live. And then he died, punished, beaten, scorned. He was mocked in my place. So you say, what do I have to do this morning to be right with God? All Christ asks from you is that you would put your faith in him. That you would come and bow your knee and make him Lord of your life. God does not say to you this morning, do more. God says to you this morning, I've done it. My arms are open. I will receive you today based on faith. So if that's you, we want to say to you, we don't care what you did yesterday. We don't care what sins or great mistakes you made last week. The only thing that matters is that you bow your knee to Jesus today. Today is the day of salvation. Stop running from him. Stop denying him. Stop trying to prove how great you are through your own works and get on your knees today and receive him as Lord. It's the best thing you can do. It's only in him that you'll receive life. So if that's you, we want to ask you to come. We want to ask you to come and receive Jesus this morning. You can leave here sure that you belong to him. If any of those words of knowledge stuck, again, digestive issues, eye issues, if you're going through a real breaking up of your family and you're struggling, we want to ask you to come as well so that we can pray for you. The altars are open. Don't hesitate this morning. Come on, don't let shame hold you back this morning. Don't let pride keep you seated this morning. I just need you. I just need you. I love, I love you.
congregation, let's worship. So, Father, we thank you for the grace, first of Calvary, the salvific grace that washes us and forgives us. And, Lord, we thank you for sustenance in the person of Jesus. We thank you for kindness, undeserved kindness that you wash us with. We love and trust you. We really love and trust you, Jesus, with all of our hearts. It's in your holy name that we pray. Let all the saints say amen. Altars are going to stay open. Worship team will stay in place. You don't have to rush out of here. If you need ministry, just hang. But if not, you're officially dismissed. We thank you so much for worshiping with us.